Hello, everybody. It is great to have you here again. My name is Gary Fowler, and I am the host of GST Presents Silicon Valley AI and Tech. I'm a serial entrepreneur. I've done 17 companies. I was on the original management team of Click Software that was sold to Salesforce for $1.35 billion a little over three years ago, and also EBIT.ai and AI HR Tech Company. Love artificial intelligence. I've done 17 companies been involved in a bit in quantum computing also. I am the CEO, president of GSD, Get Shit Done Venture Studios, a premier AI and quantum venture studio. And it's great to have you here again for the second edition this week of GSD Presents. So it is with great pleasure that I have Arthur Bevelis, who is a family office of founder and entrepreneur, um, an exciting um, dynamic person that's going to talk to us today about AI and how family offices are supporting artificial intelligence and straight to you, I believe from New York city, uh, Arthur. Yeah. How, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I live in New York city, but I'm in San Diego right now. We've been a, uh, uh, I think they label it a, a COVID vagabond I've been traveling quite a bit since, uh, May, but happy to be here with you, Gary. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm in this, this same situation. Actually, I was just out in California in the valley, and it's still a little bit locked down. So I came back to Palm Beach. So uh, kind of here to be uh, spread the wings out a little. But it's great to have you here today. And you know, I wanted to just talk a little bit about your background. I know um, we talked off air about the being Greek. Uh, were you born in Greece, or did you no? Uh, thank you for asking. I'm. Uh, my parents were born here, and so was I. Uh, my family on my mother's side was from Costa which is uh, where all the furriers came from. And so there's a freshwater island in Greece. Um, and uh, so they came over to Astoria and all that. My father's side was from uh, the Peloponnese. But no, I was born here. My parents were born here. But we had all, uh, if, you, if you watch Big Fat Greek Wedding, that was pretty much us. Yeah, yeah, I know. Growing up myself, I mean, my uh, so we are also from Peloponnese, Paleobarbosity. So my family's also from the same uh, on my mother's side, and and uh, you know, it's just you know, you go to Greece. I don't know if you've been there uh, recently, but it's, a year and a half ago, yeah. yeah. It's uh, I was there when the um, crisis happened a few years ago, and I happened to come on uh, January first. So it was one of the rare times that it snows in Greece near Athens and no Greeks were out right, right. <laughs> Greece right well first it was January 1st but I came to Greece I'm like there's no Greeks out and I'm sitting at the bottom of the Acropolis all by myself thinking this can't be real dream <laughs> it and I go into a Greek restaurant close to Acropolis a fantastic dinner but nobody but me <laughs> You know, they, oh wow! Yeah. That's the best service you can imagine. More <laughs> olives and feta and everything else. It, it's snowed. Yeah, it snowed this year. The Acropolis. I had friends send me pictures. There it was, it was blizzard. Yeah, I think it was, yeah. it was an amazing situation because one yeah. thing about uh, being in Greece uh, with snow, Greeks don't have snow tires. I didn't see. It was quite interesting. Yeah, <laughs> so, it's a bad idea. <laughs> a bad idea. So yeah, now that's incredible. So the, uh, they came over here and. Did you go to university here or where, where did you study? Yeah, the, my family, my father's family uh, came into Chicopee, Mass, and mm -hmm. they worked for uh, on the river there at a paper mill. And then they got recruited to a little town in New Hampshire, 500 people then and 500 people now. And I was born in the middle of nowhere in Peterborough, New Hampshire. 
and uh, moved to uh, Western Mass, Springfield, Longmeadow area, and then went to school there for a little while, and then moved to suburban Philadelphia, went to school there a little while, and basically brought up my kids in Villanova outside of uh, Philadelphia, which is where I sold the first two companies that I patched together with duct tape and bubblegum. And uh, they weren't AI, but they were software as a service, but we didn't even know what that was then. So yeah, uh, we had a really nice uh, suburban Philadelphia, Villanova uh, lifestyle to bring up the kids. I have three adult children that right away moved to New York City Two of them have left since COVID, but uh, yeah, it was a wonderful, wonderful place to bring up children. Yeah, and I, you know, I went to school down in Philadelphia, and I remember Bryn Mawr and Villanova and, and that area. And uh, yeah. you know, I'm originally so my, the um, a Greek side of us uh, immigrated to the middle of Pennsylvania. You know, once Greek one Greek would come in, they tell their cousins and everybody else, and all of a sudden you have a Greek community. You know, <laughs> yeah, I, I passed over it, but when my uh, father, uh, when my father's father got recruited to the paper mill in uh, in Bennington, New Hampshire, everybody knows Bennington, Vermont. They bought every house on the street, all the uncles except for one, and to this day, it's called Greek Alley. There's no more Greeks there, but they renamed it. There was, uh, I think, seven houses on the street, and they bought them all. Um, and so it's exactly what you said. They just went right and uh, gravitated together. Yeah, it was amazing. I remember growing up, we would have these. Uh, Greek events and and uh, at the church and and the, they rented a fire hall and they had this thing called a HEPA and, a, and a HEPA, yeah. parties and you know I had no we were dancing around in circles with a handkerchief. I, was, uh, a, a, a HEPA, I actually know what it means. It's HEPA is American Hellenic Educational Progressive Association. Huh, interesting. I get <laughs> <to> HEPA <laughs> and did a lot of dancing. Anyhow, yeah. so. Let's talk about, um, you know, in terms of family offices today, one of the things, Arthur, that I'm seeing around the world is the family offices are taking a much more active role in terms of investing, like the second and third generation of this multi-generational wealth, I, literally across the board. I mean, is that just me or is that, uh, are they becoming more active or what's happening? Uh, I, I think you can... The one generalization you can make about single family offices is that if you, the farther you get away from the original generation that made the money, the more active they are in terms of deploying capital into something other than what made them the money. Because it was it's about uh, not venture in investing in particular, but it's about uh, staying rich money, right? And so the farther you get away from the, the the whatever business it was that created the wealth, the more likely people are going to deploy capital into funds or something like that, just because they're not necessarily uh, have the domain expertise that the father or the mother did that made the money. Not only that, they they are not necessarily in business. They're just legacy money, right? Mm-hmm. But as it relates to AI, um, it's... Uh, it's interesting to see more like the second generation as opposed to the third or the fourth are actually voting voting with their checkbook into things that they think can make a difference, which is an overused term, but also directly investing in uh, in, in companies that they think that they they that with just a slice of the assets, right? No one's voting with the stay rich money, but with the slice of the assets. Uh, 
voting in things that not only are trending and popular, but actually have a, an opportunity to make a lot of money. And um, I was thinking about the topic of this discussion today, and not unlike crypto, for example, and I'm not advocating it one way or another, a lot of money was is made in exchanges, not just in buying the crypto assets. And mm -hmm. so the utilities in between, uh, uh, there was, uh, you know, Mike Novogratz made a lot of money, but people don't realize it wasn't just buying crypto, it was, you know, David Namdar deciding that he was going to put the money into things that were utilities for crypto. And that's where the money was made, the exchanges and so forth. And I think that's, if if I could offer a trend that I'm seeing in family offices deploying capital into AI assets, it's that sort of thing where there's a family office uh, in Boston. Uh, uh, they have a company called Jackson and there. You wouldn't even know if you didn't know anything about AI, which I, I can't say that I do, but I learned along the way that you know there's a bunch of human beings tagging data to make sure that the ai algos work and that's a it's still a manual thing it's not an automated thing and so he's managed to to build a utility that uh uh does that tagging less manually um i think one of our good friends is on the call today that is using this sort of thing in deploying capital and veteran owns companies that are cybersecurity and security and that sort of thing. And so I, they're, they're deploying capital directly into companies that they can understand if they're the second or third generation, even though it was, their, was not their domain ex expertise. And they're investing in funds where they just don't have the expertise, but they see the opportunity to leverage it. And it's not just about money, it's about national security and that sort of thing. No, I agree with you. You know, I've been in, you know, I'm a psychologist originally, so I've always been fascinated by the processes in the brain. And, and um, you know, I got into Ops 5 and Lisp 20-some uh, years ago. So the, uh, the basically the fundamental layer of AI. And, um, you know, I've been uh, lucky over the last year, 14 months, because of the pandemic, I've written like 160 articles on AI and quantum computing. And just it's the more I unwrap the uh, onion, the more fascinating it is. But, you know, for the audience out there, the world around us, there's about 49 zettabytes of data today on the planet. And what does that mean? That means if I took CDs or DVDs and stacked them one on top of another, it would go 35 times between the Earth and the moon. The challenge is it's grown at about 68 percent per year. We are in a state, as Alvin Toffler says, of infobesity. So we all are experiencing it. Think about in our personal world, Arthur. Each one of us has about 300,000 items in our personal cloud. Uh, the entire web in 1996 was 257,000 websites. You, Arthur, have more information. Your personal cloud, the entire web. Uh, and that number doubles uh, by within five years, we're going to have 10 million items. So think about how many times in the last two weeks has somebody said, Arthur, uh, did you get the message I sent? Where did you send it? I sent it to your email. Which one? Yeah. Uh, then when did you send it? A week and a half ago. Can you resend it? We can't even deal with the data that's around us. We're in another state of infobesity. So what having these tools, not smart but intelligent assistants, are going to allow us to make sense of our world. I believe that they're going to be two classes of people. The people understand the data and people don't. And we're going to have these intelligent assistants that are kind of like guardian angels that uh, like our grandparents, like our yayas out there, that can go out and, and look out for our best interest so that we do the right kind of things and also makes decisions for us because they understand 
um, what the kind of things we want and the kind of things more importantly that we need. And across the board from healthcare to supply chain, you name it, you know, so though we'll have smart pills in our systems that allow us to be able to make decisions. It's time to go to the doctor. Oh, by the way, let us kill that bad cell, you know, and, um, and do it. So that's where we are. And people don't really realize how fast things are changing with quantum computers coming on board, which could be a hundred million times faster than a supercomputer. To put it in perspective, quantum computers today can process what would take 10,000 years on the fastest supercomputer in 200 seconds. That's how fast we're talking about. Yeah, wasn't it uh, last year, right in the middle of COVID, didn't Google uh, have a breakthrough in, with regard to quantum computing? That's exactly, that's what I just quoted you. Yeah. Yeah, and then here's the challenge, right? So the nefarious characters that are out there today, there are um, groups, rogue nations that do have access to quantum computers. Now you wonder why all these ransomware attacks are taking place. So uh, look at it. If you take artificial intelligence, quantum computers, you can figure out things very quickly. In fact, Arthur, by as early as 2022, Bitcoin, will be able to be cracked with quantum computers between 2022 and 2027. That's how fast. And then, you know, think about how many opportunities for the good that uh, these quantum computers and artificial intelligence uh, have. So we're in, a, this is like the dawn of the 20th century. It's like, you know, here we are, Nikola Tesla, all of a sudden alternating current. Our fundamental lives are going to change over the next 30 years. And, you know, it's funny. I talk to MIT professors at Harvard and people all over the world. They have the same problem with infobesity. We need to develop these systems. And, you know, one of the things I've been doing over the last few years is to look at it. So family offices, you know, and investors, you know, they need to understand that this is a critical problem today. And this is the opportunity of a lifetime to invest. I, I think that there's, you know, a fair amount of intelligence around deploying capital in this. It's not that, you know, the prior generation, the current generation is educating the, the prior generation and they're not just saying, oh, I don't know how to type or I don't know how to use a phone. I don't. So they've been forced into it. But the two things that you said uh, are uh, just not the only things that are interesting, but we've talked about the fire hose of data. It's great that we have Google and we can Google anything, but uh, you know, there's a bunch of useless nonsense and fake news and all that business. And it's hard to discern between real and not real. And so that is a big challenge. And I think that there's opportunity not only to invest, but do good and make money in that sort of thing, like parsing the, 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 the good from the bad or the real from the not real. Although I'm not quite sure how that's going to work. And then, the quantum computing thing, I mean, look what happened to the hackers in Russia yesterday. They shut down and nobody knows why, whether it was our cyber cybersecurity experts. And, you know, we don't know what's really going on in Russia and China. They may have all, already figured all this out. And uh, when you talk about cracking Bitcoin, do you really mean that they're going to crack the blockchain and be able to, uh, you know, reverse engineer and figure out the, the keys and so people could steal the, the the value of the of the bitcoin or is is that what you were mentioning yeah potentially yeah potentially Arthur. that's the challenge i mean when you have these this incredible amount of speed and by the way the one that's uh 100 million times uh faster than it 
a supercomputer is not the fastest. I'm just telling you what, where that's not the breakthrough, right? The breakthroughs are uh, 10 times faster than that. So, but what I'm saying is these are some of the areas. Think about cybersecurity, right? And again, I'm a country boy. I grew up in Pennsylvania on a farm. So keep it simple, stupid. If you look at it uh, today, what's the problem? The problem is we're having these cybersecurity attacks. And by the way, the former chief security officer, Apple, is on our board. So we have these discussions <laughs> a couple of times a week. And one of the things we talk about is the problem that we have is we need to take an entirely different approach. If we're going to, we need to look at decentralized approaches to cybersecurity and things like secret sharing. So you can't hit what you can't see. And so these new evolving technologies are going to have to come out because, listen, all the security that 90% of the security systems that we have in place uh, around the world are vulnerable. I mean, unless you unplug completely from the internet, it just, you know, <laughs> there's no option. So right, the whole air gap thing, right? Yeah. You should definitely, since you're in Palm Beach, do you know Hamlet Yosef from no, Capital? No. So Hamlet's there. I'll, I'll make sure you talk to him. Hamlet yeah. Yosef, yeah. Uh, one of the things that I've experienced since COVID is, uh, even though I knew these folks prior, is I, there's nowhere for me to hide because I've, I've got a, a dozen ex-agency uh, CIA friends now, and they've all looked under my hood. And so at least I can have, you know, that they're still willing to have cocktails with me. Um, so I must have not done anything too wrong in my past, but uh, they're really making some progress. Uh, not only our national security, but the people who have bounced out of there and have created entrepreneurial businesses. So it's that is really encouraging to me because they had the 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 ability to see how the sausage was made in the administration and in the what arguably is protecting our national security and also being able to deploy things outside as an entrepreneur to help us thwart the commercial problems. So I didn't mean to interrupt, but no, no, no. I agree with you. I agree. It's, you know, we have a fascinating opportunity. And, you know, at the same time, think about this, Arthur. We, I have the two astronaut friends and I had a four-star admiral on my show uh, recently, Bill Owen. And, I mean, think about it. We've got six billion Earth-like planets in the Milky Way galaxy, now estimated 200 trillion galaxies in the universe. You know, we got a population that's going to go from 8 billion to 13.1 billion up estimated by the end of this century. By 2050, we're going to have to double the food supply in order to feed the population. We've got challenges. And then 26% of the pollutants, um, you know, ozone problems are because of uh, livestock. So we can't yeah. increase the number of livestock. This is, again, keep it simple, stupid, right? We need to have plant-based protein. So, you know, water, the challenges of global warming, average temperatures go up seven degrees by the end of this century. What does that mean? It means it's going to be a lot of flooding. This is not rocket science. It just happened in Belgium and Germany today. 40 people died. I don't know exactly. if you saw the news. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah. you know, Russia uh, and Canada are going to be bread baskets. So if you look at the models that you out, they're going to be bread baskets. So, but, you know, the, the good news about it, the good news about uh, the world is that we've responded during the COVID time. You know, people got online and started to do business together. Uh, in an entirely different way. The digital transformation that McKinsey said would take 10 years. They said 93% of the company would uh, transform over 10 years. Had to happen in months because you weren't going to be doing business. And by the way, it was pretty lonely if you're sitting in your house with nobody to talk to. <laughs> <laughs>
So, you know, we, we had some, we understood our uh, vulnerabilities. I don't know about, you know, you're, you're, you're in New York and San Diego, but you know, here in, in Palm beach, it was the same thing. I mean, some of the wealthiest people in the world had the same challenge. They wanted to talk and, and share ideas, right. Or, you know, from the poorest to the wealthiest people were just scared. And no, oh, no doubt. We were, one of the businesses is Family Office Insights, which you know is the subject matter here for today. I own 31 other ones, but the, uh, which are operating companies. Uh, thankfully, I don't operate them. But the point is, we went from two or three in-person uh, uh, luncheons a week in New York City to immediately zero, and then, like everybody else, we adjusted, and now we're doing three or four webinars a week. And uh, everybody, uh, you know, it was it was uh, a slow but meaningful. And then it just had its own momentum. And it it's as if we were doing it forever. Um, and so I think people got accustomed to it. They didn't really have a choice. Right. So meaning people in general, if they wanted to connect and look at deal flow or just talk to people, like you say, you know, they, you had to use Zoom you didn't have a choice. So I think that it's going to be. Uh, uh, going forward, uh, and we're not going to be talking on the phone as much as we used to. We're going to do a Zoom call, right? If that's all yeah. we're doing is having a call, right? You know, Arthur, six years ago when I started, well, I was one of the early Zoom users because one of his VCs, Eric's VCs, approached me and said, you got to try it. I sent out the links to Zoom then, and people said, why would I want to do this? I have Skype and WhatsApp. I said, because this is really cool stuff. This is really cool. <laughs> yeah. When's the last time did you use Skype? Right. I mean, uh, I did on my phone because I needed to make a phone call to Europe, and right. I happened to use Skype to do it because I didn't yeah. have I couldn't I didn't have time to go to WhatsApp. But you know, not much. Yeah. Yeah. It's I haven't done a long time. Like it's still a thing, though, right? Yeah, it's still a thing. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about Family Office Insights and some of the things that you're doing and. And uh, my audience is from around the world. How could they, what could it do for them and how could they uh, use it? Yeah, it's pretty straightforward. Uh, the, unlike other, and the, this is not meant to be disparaging, there's good value in, in other family office communities. Ours is pretty straightforward. If you're a legitimate family office, you become a member, there's no fee and you can participate or not participate in pitch webinars or in-person webinars were starting back up in New York City in, in September. And if you want to pitch, you can apply. We get about 200 applicants. So it's really a deal flow group. We don't do family governance. We don't do conferences, except we did one at the UN out of frustration for impact. We had 250 people, 211 family offices in 2019, September. Uh, and that was the only conference we really did uh, it was out of my frustration of people talking about how the world is going to uh, uh, climate change and all that business instead of doing anything about it. And so we had a wonderful convergence of people and they walked away from there doing it. So anyway, the, it's pretty straightforward. You just go to Family Office Insights and you can sign up as a, a legitimate family office and we'll send you the invitations and you can delete them if they're not interesting or, or you can participate on the webinars uh if they're interesting to you so it's there's no fees no charge if you want to potentially pitch to family offices you you take the red pill instead of the the blue pill or green pill whatever the matrix was um and then you click on that and you sign up and you apply 
and it, uh, we get about 250 applicants a month. We pick 12 or 15 of the ones we think that are most interesting in the community, and they pitch on on a Zoom call. And what are they pitching? So what typically are they pitching their family office and what so, they do? are they yeah. pitching uh, uh, companies that they're involved in or they're, they're usually pitching no, the, the, the pitches are almost always either funds or companies that are raising money and they want to meet family offices because they're just simply hard to get to. And this is one way to get to them, not the only way. And we just charge a, a, a fee to, to, to do that utility, you know, so we have to set up the email do the invitations, send them out, get, you know, 15 or 20 or 30 people onto the webinar. And we charge just a, a very nominal fee for that. Um, and uh, that's it. And then we give everybody the list of who showed up and who didn't show up and they go to wrestle them to the ground, try to get a check. So it's pretty straightforward. We're not in the capital raising business, although that's what happens. And you just say it loud and clear for the record, you know, we're not a broker deal. We're not getting a success fee. We're just creating a nexus of connectivity to hard to get to people that because the cohort is so large, there's 5,000 family offices that are members and 22,000 subscribers, which is we just publish a Q&A from time to time, uh, uh, two or three times actually a week. Uh, so the cohort's so large that when somebody comes on and they qualify and they pitch, there's going to 15 or 30 people that come that are authentically interested. And uh, we might, because we sent out 800 and some odd invitations, we might miss the very best person for that particular pitch, but it's okay because we get more than sufficient amount of the very, be the very best people. Um, it's not perfect, but you know, the people who show up are the ones that are authentically interested in because uh, they don't have time to waste. And presumably they're, you know, we, the invitation simply says, here's who's coming, here's what stage you're at, here's what they're looking for. If it's a company or a fund, you know, don't bother showing up uh, unless you're deploying capital in this. And we don't even have to tell them that, but we do uh, because they don't have time to waste. And that now the, the company or the fund has, you know, 15 or 30 people that they can call on that they wouldn't otherwise have known. And then, so can companies, startups that are looking at raising funds, can they come in and pitch? They they can, but the the caveat is that we get 250 applicants. So the first question is, do you have a budget? The the, the 30 minute pitch is 1,495 bucks. So if they don't have the budget, they could be the next Uber, and it wouldn't matter because that's the only revenue stream for Family Office Insights, and they immediately go in the no pile. So they have to have a budget, and so that's the first question we ask. I know it's a little New York City direct, but that's what we do. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, uh, then they go into the maybe pile. And I don't mind telling you, depending on where they come from, we get a lot of p uh, companies that are sent in or people who want to pitch from the uh, 5,000 family offices. And they get the first look because they're usually pretty well filtered. Mm -hmm. You know, we look at things very quickly. Uh, we have a committee that looks at them you know, on a daily basis. I don't want to make it sound ominous, but, you know, we get uh, an application or a deck and if it looks stupid or it doesn't make any sense, or if they don't have $1,495, it just goes to the no pile. Mm -hmm. And so we eliminate half of them pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. um, and the other half, we just do our very best to pick 12 or 15 that makes sense. Now that sounds great. So, um, you know, audience out there, here's a great opportunity for you. If you're looking at, if you're a family office and want to get involved, 
Uh, Arthur's the guy to go to. He's got uh, the connections and the right stuff. If you're a startup, you can you can apply and um, maybe you'll get in. There's a fee of fourteen ninety five, but that seems like a a little fee to be able to get exposed to family offices, by the way, that are extremely active in terms of investing these days. So sounds really good. So we're coming to the top of the hour, Arthur. So closing comments and how do people reach out to you personally? Yeah, grateful for being here, Gary. Um, I'm so glad you invited me and always happy to share with you and, and the community. You know, familyofficeinsights.com is pretty straightforward. You can communicate with us directly there. Uh, I actually have a pretty, pretty, uh, pretty close attention uh, regularly to LinkedIn, so you can find us there. Um, and super happy to have a chat with anybody. All right, sounds great. So I want to thank everybody for joining another edition of GST Presents Silicon Valley AI and Tech. Stay tuned for next Tuesday. We're back with another edition. Stay happy, stay safe, and keep smiling. My name's Gary Fowler, and I'm your host, and talk to you again next week. Thank you, Arthur. Really appreciate it. Ready to start.